The scripture for today's sermon comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. The word of God speaks to us. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of God to us. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Thank you. Wow, I will let you stand here and read scripture with me the whole time. Uh, if that woman is in your community group and she's not reading scripture, what are you doing? <laughs> Something is wrong. I've read this passage a thousand times over the past couple weeks, and like right then, I was like, oh, Lord, fill this, fill this. So, thank you. Thank you. I know your, your son and grandchildren are here and family stuff, and so like blessings upon your family for all of it. Hey, my name is Chad. I, I have had the joy of being in Edmond all week with your staff. Uh, being a part of this church and what a gift it's been to me. I hope uh, I will have left something uh, beneficial for your church as well. It's just been a joy that we get to do this. Your pastor, David, has been in Yukon all week. And listen, I, I bring with me, I bring with me love from your brothers and sisters out west. We're one congregation uh, we're one church and five congregations that we get to do this together. And sometimes that, that gets forgotten. I could stand here all day. I hope you'll come up to me afterwards. And I would love to tell you uh, all the things that we've seen God doing in and through that little church in Yukon. But we're in Edmond today. And I have big prayers, I hope you do as well, for what God is doing in and through this congregation and what he would do in and through this season of Advent, but particularly even this Sunday morning as we gather. And I say that as one who knows that it's so easy just to go through the motions of a Sunday morning. 
It's easy. I even feel the disconnect in my heart. Even this morning, this is the third service that I've been through, and and I've sang this song three times of like, I know how the story ends, and yet, God, I'm such a forgetful person. I I know the battle is won, and yet I can be so overwhelmed in the moment. And I don't think that's just me. So let's pray. Let's pray like with, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, knowing that we're incapable and we need the Spirit to meet us, that we wouldn't just go through the motions this morning. Not any of us, not me and not you. And join me as we pray that. Father, we need your Spirit to meet us. It's so easy to polish up and to, to just put on a show for, for someone else. God, I, I pray, Lord, that each one of us would experience the living God today. I pray that you'd move us from posturing ourselves to experiencing you. And that by your grace, through your spirit meeting us right here in this moment, that, that Lord, you would lead us right to your throne of grace. And, and Meet my friends exactly where they're at. And so we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm just going to give you the slightest bio uh, and start with just being real honest with you. Uh, Advent has always been a super confusing thing in my brain. I was not raised in church. That, uh, that covers a lot that I'm just going to gloss over. Uh, I was not raised in church. I was a latchkey kid who got into all sorts of trouble. And I started going to church in high school. And here's the honest to God truth. Like I started going to church in high school because there were pretty girls and it was an easy place to be popular. And it worked out for me. I met my wife there. It was like a good deal. It's like, this is, uh, somehow this is not how it's supposed to work out. And it did by God's grace, by God's grace, he met me. And so like, I, even after becoming a believer was like, what are we doing? What is this Advent thing? Are we just acting like Jesus wasn't born? And then on Christmas Eve, it's like, ah, guess what? Like, I really thought that. And at times, at, at times I have, I still have to remind my heart of like, No, this isn't some pretend thing. Advent is a gift to tune our affections. To remind us that we live in this now and not yet, this in-between, the in-between of this this Jesus who was born in the muck and the mess of a stable quietly in the night to this Jesus who is coming again in full display of his glory. He's coming again. We live in that in-between, don't we? We live in, in our own muck and mess. We live in the ups and downs. We live as forgetful people. We live as distracted people. We're in all of it. And so maybe, maybe you're here this morning and Advent has always been a confusing thing for you. Or maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, and I'm just naming things that I've been uh, more often than I'd like to count. Maybe you're here this morning and Sunday, uh, a Sunday gathering is just something you're numb to at this point. And we kind of go through the motions and we know the rhythms of a Sunday and that's what we do. Or, or maybe you were, someone dragged you here this morning and you're not happy about it and you're, you're all over the map. There's all sorts of ways. And maybe you're here stumbling in carrying guilt and shame and you feel as busted up as you've ever been or you've been in a while and you're saying, God, I don't know what's happening. But see, here's the deal is like as like this God has something for you. 
This God works in and through you, not because you're put together and you have your act together, but because he is good. He is good. I believe God has something for you this morning. I believe he has something for all of us. He's not just sending us through some another religious activity. He actually wants to meet us and lead us right to him. And so I, have, I just want to make two turns today, a relatively simple thing. I want to set our focus. I want to set our focus on this Jesus, this, this one Jesus. And we're going to do it. We're going to keep asking a question. So I'm going to repeat it again and again. Where is your heart? Where's your heart? And the second thing I want to do is I want to set a course for us, certainly a course for today, but a course for the next few weeks as we walk through Advent. I want to set a course. I want to set a focus, and I want to set a course for us, and we just want to keep asking the question, where is your hope? So where, where is your heart, and where is your hope? And those two things will kind of work together to lead us in this morning. And so let's start there. The word of God through Isaiah 42, but the word of God is challenging you and I and everyone, everyone who would read this throughout history to ask like that question, where is my heart? And pick it up with me, chapter 42, verse one. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Catch this three. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. I don't know what condition you came in this morning, but I know at some point in your life you're going to feel like that bruised reed. Or faintly burning wick. Hear these words from scripture, this one, this Jesus. He will not break, he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse four, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlines wait for his law. Okay, so we have a lot of things happening as we step into Isaiah, this prophecy. There's just a lot of things happening, and, and, and sometimes it can feel like a puzzle. It can feel like a puzzle. And what do you do when you start a puzzle? You, you're like, I'm finding corners, I'm finding edges, I'm working my way into this, into this passage. And we'll just kind of do that here. We're going to look for the corners, and I want you to start with this first word that comes up, behold. Behold. Isaiah tells us to do something, behold. And that's different than just like, hey, look at something. Look at it. Notice it. It's different than notice it. It's like, it's like look at it, notice it, and then sit with it. And sit with it. Behold. But not just behold anything. It isn't just find something to behold and find something beautiful. It's behold my servant. Behold my servant. That's important for us because Isaiah is writing to a particular people in a particular place at a particular time. These are God's chosen people who are now living under judgment as exiles in Babylon. And Babylon's an important piece of this puzzle because Babylon is like anything goes world. Anything goes in this place. And Babylon is a land filled with idols. 
And if we don't kind of clue into this puzzle that it, it, it is centered around where's your heart and where is it being led and idols are all over the place and we miss something that's really important right here. Because 42 doesn't just live by itself, right? 42 comes after something, 41. And in 41, in chapter 41, God is taking the fight to the idols. And so the kindness of God that we read about in 42 is met by the ferocity of God, the judgment of God in 41, which says in verse 24, it says, like, he's speaking directly to the idols. And he says, behold, you are nothing. Like, of the idols, you are nothing. By verse 29, he says, behold. Again, he says, behold, you are nothing. Behold, in verse 29, to the idols, he says, you are a delusion. All of that works to set up verse 1 of chapter 42, which says, hey, behold something altogether different, my servant. And the rest of this unpacks the character and the heartbeat of the servant. The rest of this unpacks what we're supposed to see and how it is altogether different than the idol's. That's exactly what is being brought out here. But, but behold isn't the only corner. A puzzle doesn't just have one thing right there. There are other spots to this that we need to catch. And one of them is this repeating phrase that comes up. And it uses the word three times in these first four verses of chapter 42. It talks about justice. And what a loaded word right now in our world. It talks, it gives us justice. But in the Bible and to Isaiah, justice, a just world is a human society as God intended. Where there are, are no corrupting and no competing idols. And so Isaiah is putting himself something. There's, a, there's no corrupting idolatries that would lead us Away, that is a just world. And hear this, justice, injustice, injustice is more than just political dysfunction. So if, if the idea, if the word justice is triggering to you this morning, and that's kind of the world where we find ourselves, justice here means it's a spiritual evil. Injustice is a, a spiritual evil, a, a denial of God. And why is that? Because God, creator of the heavens of the earth, author and perfecter of your faith in, in every bit of it, the one who hung the moon and the stars and set the expanse, that God is worthy of all glory, full stop. And anything that competes with that God is robbing him of glory. And that is unjust. That is unjust. But here's the key when we're reading about justice here in 42. Uh, God's justice isn't just a concept. It isn't a meeting that you go to. God's justice isn't happy thoughts. God's justice is found through a person. And the text tells us, my servant. It comes through a person, his chosen servant. His, like, God's chosen one for this, pleasing to him and the rest of this, these four verses right here, describe the character of this servant. We see it. This is, this is where the familiar parts of this ring out to us, like the bruised reed. It's less about the bruised reed, which is important, and it's more about the character of the servant. The servant is tender-hearted. The servant sees the bruised reed and knows not to crush it. 
The, 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 the one that we're supposed to behold is tender, not because he's weak, but because he's good. This tender-hearted one, this tender servant, this one that we're to behold is also patient. He's patient. He says, he says he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. So for, for maybe, maybe you're like me in which you're like, oh, God, where, I know I've exhausted your patience, God. What we hear in this text is that this God, he, he will not grow faint. Or be discouraged. Because here's the, here's the deal. This story isn't focused and fixated on you. This story says, behold his servant. Behold his servant. And here's the problem, right? Because I, I make so much of life fixated on me. I, I fixate on other things. I start to fix my eyes on other things here and again. And the problem is right here. He says, behold my servant, but you and I behold and, and give our attention and our hearts to so many lesser things. We start letting those have sway over us. We start letting those dictate our feelings, our attitudes, our anxieties. And we start to kind of move with what, what will these people think? What will that person say? Do I have enough in the bank account? Does, does my family, are they behaving in a way that reflects good on me? And we start to kind of fill our minds and our hearts with all sorts of things that speak a word over us that just simply isn't true. We're called to behold the chosen one of God, but we focus and fixate on so many other things. And that's why this is so important for us because if idols and the discussion of idols was just like, oh man, uh, they're just trinkets and they're just little things in the marketplace and they just go up there, then we could just set Isaiah on the shelf and treat it like any other book in antiquity. But it's not Isaiah's not a their problem. Man, look at those people. They were a mess back in Babylon. Idolatry is all of us problem that it reaches right in today. It's not out there. It's in here. It's in here. John Calvin puts it this way. He refers to the human heart as an idol factory. To which I say, yep, guilty. I almost said amen. That would be terrible. Martin Luther says it this way. He says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Let that one just kind of sink in for a second. I phrase it like this regularly. It's like we practice daily what we really believe. We practice daily what we really believe. We can say all sorts of things, and people, people do. You do, I do. We say all sorts of things, but we, we practice daily what we really believe. So here's that question. Here's that first question. Where is your heart? Where's your heart dra uh, drawn to? Where's your heart found? Where, where is your heart? What has the attention of your heart? And we become what our heart longs for. We end up worshiping what our heart longs for. We can't not worship because we can't not love something. And it's our heart that draws us. It's our heart that moves us. 
And we can say all sorts of nice things about Jesus, but we often find ourselves drawn to it. I love how uh, one author puts it in his book, You Are What You Love. He says, to be human is to be on the move, pursuing something after something. We're like existential sharks. We have to move to live. We're not just static containers for ideas. We're dynamic creatures directed towards some end. And so, like, here's the issue. Like, where are you going? What is the course that you're on? Where's the hope that is drawing you to? So where's your heart and where is your hope? Because, like, friends, an idol is anything other than God that we see as essential. It's anything other than God that uh, tells me who I am. An idol is anything other than God that I think it needs to kind of like, this needs to work out in my life. And how many, we wouldn't phrase it like an idol, but it's like, man, do I have enough in the bank account? Do I have enough here? Do I have, a, do I have enough of like acceptance, approval? Do I have enough of fill in the blank? And it's in those moments in which we find ourselves so, so in danger of falling after and listening to these idols that are all around us. You see, our problem is not social or intellectual, or it's, it's not even moral, really, though we have problems in all of those areas. Our, our root problem in all of life is that we keep going to false gods that will never satisfy and will never save So where is your heart focused? And where is your hope? See, God's alternative, God's alternative to the idols that we keep bringing up in our life is ultimately in Christ and his servant, this Jesus that we talk about in Advent. And and so all of the, the, the gloves off discussion in chapter 41 of you are nothing, idol, you are nothing. Your delusion leads us and prepares us to hear at the beginning of 42 of here's what you should behold. Stop looking at all those other things that won't satisfy because they're nothing and they're just a delusion. But behold my servant. Behold my servant. And I I just say this, like as we step back into the text, we're picking it up here in verse five. As we step back into it, we need to kind of do some some basic works in grammar. All right? I, I, I just, full disclaimer, I was not the type of person who was paying attention in eighth grade English when they taught you how to diagram sentences. It was not me. I ran into my eighth grade English teacher at a wedding I did a while back. And I just simply, I was like, man, I'm, I am so sorry. Everything I just said is not a reflection on you. (laughs) It is me. And then I'll run into her from time to time again, and I just run away because I've said everything I need to say. (laughs) It's just to my shame, all of this stuff. But I did catch something over the years. There are sentences and sentence structure that are important to us. There's subjects, and there are predicates. And predicates, you don't really have to get caught up in all that type of stuff. But subject and predicate leads us to think, hey, there's a center to this sentence or this story, and then there's an action attached to it. And for us to understand what happens next, we need to know who is the subject and who is responsible for all the action that we're reading. 
And so the, the dialogue changes from describing the servant to God is now talking to the servant and specifically addressing the servant. And notice who does all of the action in this. Pick it up in verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord. There's its perfect little helper right there. Hey, God, he's the Lord, okay? Here's the guy. And this is going to become really clear because there's some things in here that only the Lord can do. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Catch this. I will take you by the hand. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. Here's what the servant's gonna do. To open the eyes of the blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison those who sit in darkness. And now let me just pause right here for just a second. Who has their eyes blind but the people who are worshiping nothing but a delusion? And who knows darkness but those that don't have hope because they're placing it in something that could never save And who needs to be set free but those who are following after an idol that only leads leads to ruin? That's what this servant does. It meets them right where they're at. It meets them not when they clean themselves up, but it meets them in the darkness. It meets them in the prison cell. It meets them in those spots that are too raw for words. It meets them in the confusion. It meets them with all their questions about how does X work with Y. It meets them right there. And he says, I've got this. I've got this. And my wandering heart is like, well, why can't I do that? Why can't I bring justice? And why can't I do those things? And here it is. The text makes it really clear, the subjects and the predicates, because I'm not God. And neither are you. Neither are you. You see, here's the, here's the fundamental thing that we need to catch. I cannot, I do not have the ability to do this. And none of us do. The idols that we put so much hope in, the idols that we think will save or make us comfortable or all my battles will be won if this idol comes through my life, it cannot rescue you from that battle. But his servant can. His servant can. And so where where is your hope today? You see, God's answer to all of our longings, to all of those questions, to all of those things, God's longing or God's answer is in his servant, the one who meets you and the one who is able to save. God's answer to it is his powerful, his, remember, his tender, his patient servant, but it's also his powerful servant who has an ability that none of us 
have. It says, I, I, I will take you by the hand and keep you. And why? Because he says, I'm the Lord. He says, I, I will make a covenant. He'll make a covenant with us. His people will, will bring glory. And you, you know what? It, it doesn't say, but the big picture of the story that we often forget is like he redeems. He brings beauty from the brokenness. And the parts of your story that you think, like, I don't, I don't want anyone to know that. I don't want to even talk about that anymore. I wish I'd paid more attention in eighth grade English. Those parts of our story, somehow God redeems. Somehow God redeems. And so catch this. You can try. You can try to bring justice, and people do. You can try to bring peace, and certainly there's a need for that. You can try to bring fulfillment to your life and to others, but you are not able. We'll bring a, a version of it, a lesser version, and we'll bring some kind of messed up thing, but we always bring dysfunction with us. You're not able. Or let me dive one level deeper. You can try to clean yourself up. You can try to make yourself presentable. You can try to, to wash out all the spots that aren't beautiful in your story. You can try to make the pain or the addiction or the shame, just you can try to make that disappear. But friend, I, I pray that you'd hear this, not as some expert, but as someone who has tried again and again and again. You're not able. But God presents his servant. He presents his servant to us. And he says, behold. Behold this one who is able. And here's the line. Hey, God draws a line in the sand. And so many of us hear this and we're like, yes, I know we're talking about Jesus now. Yes, I like this Jesus. Yes, I believe in this Jesus. Yes, look, Jesus is right here on my shelf. Yes, Jesus is all these things. Yes, Jesus, don't mess up my plans. Yes, Jesus, like, I love that you're a part of my life in this way, in this thing. Don't do that. But friends, that's not beholding his servant. That's not, that, that's not what he is calling us to. In fact, it's the opposite. God's saying, you and I have to cross a line in which we get to a point in which we recognize, like, I am not able to dictate the terms here. I'm not the one that gets to draw up preconditions. And I am not the one who gets to say anything but Jesus, you are Lord. And I so desperately need you. I need you in my life on the good days. I need you in my life on the bad days. I need you to destroy the idols that I am not able to. And I need you to fix my eyes on you that I would behold you and not just see you and say nice things about you. I need you to, to set the course of my life in which it is following after you. And God, I so desperately need to not just show up at another thing. I need to experience the grace of God and have you wash over me with your kindness that doesn't break bruised reeds and your, your, your grace and love that doesn't snuff out those who are just dimly burned.
friends, that is what we get to do in Advent. Advent sets our gaze. It reminds us of our hope. And for my friends who are familiar with church and church culture, and my friends who have spent a number of years in church or get it, get kind of the rhythms, and you're like, I got, I got this figured out. Like, we're not talking about praying a prayer once and moving on with your life. We're talking about the daily practice, practicing daily the idea of God that help me to behold you because I know my heart and I will, I, I, I'm like a, a wandering eyed puppy that just looks at everything that keeps coming around. Well, that would make me happy and that would fill me up and that would be fun and that's what I need and that would be my rescue and that will win the battle and all of that stuff will lead me to death, God, but help me to behold you. Friends, the invitation for from God for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to practice this. To practice this. And for those of you that are here and might not know Jesus, like, like you haven't placed your trust in him, the invitation from you today is to trust in the only one who can save. Anything and everything else will lead you to death. You see, the Advent season is an invitation to trust and believe in Jesus. Not just as some thought experiment, not just as, as something that you could pass on a test, but as one that you're beholding. And maybe, like me, you feel like the course, the course of your life has a lot of messiness to it. Where it might not be pretty, or we, I, I can continually hear, like, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough in the bank account, or I don't have any of these things. And whatever it is, I can fill in the blank with, like, somehow not enough. And yet the word of God speaks a better, a, a, a better word to us. It says that no matter where you are and whatever your condition, all were dead in Christ. But what does it say? It says all of us were dead in our sins in our sins, but God, being rich in mercy through Jesus, through Jesus, knew exactly what to do. He brought life. He paid for it himself. All of this is to tune our affections, to lead us right to him, and over the next few days, like, what do we do with it? We're told here in the text not just to be happy people and say, good, Advent's here. We'll think about Jesus a lot more and do this. It actually leads us to something really important. The next line, verse 10 says, sing to the Lord a new song. It leads us to action. It leads us to something. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise for the end of the earth. Earlier he said, you'll be a light to the nations. This Jesus is a light to the nations that other people would believe. And so how do we sing a new song? How do we practice these things? I'll give you, I'll give you three things real quick and we'll be done. Examine the course of your life. Don't just assume it. Examine it. Don't just, don't just assume, oh, I got that. I've, I've done that. I, I prayed a prayer once and I, I was... I pretty much meant it at that time. Examine the course of your life. Move through the days with intentionality. Because, friends, I have yet to see the person that just stumbles into it. 
Move through it with intentionality. Bring the character of God, the character of this servant to the places and spaces to the places and spaces where he has put you. And, and we have opportunities for this right in front of us even this week. We have a week of prayer and fasting, a week in which at noontime this place will be open in which we're just trying to do that. And we're saying, God, help me behold you. Help me behold your servant. We have a gathering on Wednesday night in which is, is one of those rare moments in the, the yearly calendar in which all five congregations come together. And we have a spot in which the body of Christ at Frontline gets to come together and say, Lord, help us to worship you, to see you, to fix our eyes on you, and to remind us of this hope that we have together. And I hope to see so many of you guys there. I hope to see that. Move with intentionality. But none of this matters if, if, if we're simply trying to like evaluate our life or, or like I'm going to be more intentional with my efforts. No, it, none of this matters if we're not actually beholding his servant, Jesus. Oh, friends, actively look to the one who is able, the one who is able to heal the bruised reed and build an inferno out of what just looks like embers. This one who is able. You see, we're not pretending that Jesus hasn't been born. We're actually doing the hard work of looking into the darkness. We're looking directly into it. We see the birth of Jesus Christ and we see through Advent that we, we have to take a good hard look to where we're at, to where we're standing in this in-between. And yet even in it, because we behold Jesus, we're full of hope. It leads us to joy. It leads us to, to stand with hearts connected that say, that says, come long expected Jesus. Come long expected Jesus. Take our fears and our sins and let us find our rest in you.